Welcome to the Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast. In this podcast, we cover all topics on how to grow your B2B SaaS, no matter in which stage you're in. I'm Jorn Hoffman, the host of the show and the founder of Redditus, which is a B2B SaaS that helps other B2B SaaS companies to set up, manage, and grow an affiliate program. Being a founder myself means I'm going through the exact same journey as you are, experiencing the exact same issues, and probably have the exact same questions. And this is why I started the podcast in the first place, get advice from industry experts on how to grow my B2B SaaS. So if you like this content, make sure to describe, follow, give it a thumbs up. Let's just dive in. In today's episode, we're going to talk about SaaS pricing. It is something which is always evolving and which will have a huge impact on the success of your startup. My guest is Walter Rehberger. Walter is the VP of Revenue Operations at Unium, and Unium is a subscription management and billing tool for B2B SaaS companies. They work with over 150 B2B SaaS customers, which have a more complex billing setup. This gives them great insight into what is working and what isn't within B2B SaaS pricing. Before Union, Walter has worked in product and project management in his roles at Technetix and Exact. In these roles, he worked together with pricing specialists like Simon Kutcher and partners. He was also involved in the M&A processes when acquiring new companies and set up pricing as the part of the integration. Welcome to the show, Walter. Thank you so much. Nice introduction. Great to be here. Nice. Well, you're Dutch, so I can just ask this right away. Uh, why should people listen to you today? I think the intro gave some of it away. I'm working with pricing for many years. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about. I'm also a strong believer that pricing can make or break companies if you do it right. Also, I think I speak to SaaS companies that work with pricing on a daily basis. And I think we use their pricing model actually to qualify or disqualify leads. We have to listen to or get to listen to at least six pricing models a day, I would say, which I think is super interesting. So we see a lot. We know what works. We know what doesn't work. And yeah, like you said in my introduction, I think from past history, I did it myself. I hope that's some reason to stay uh, online on this podcast today. 100%. It will have a big impact and definitely what works and what doesn't is going to be really valuable. Let's just zoom out for one second. Like in your opinion, what is the role that pricing plays in a B2B SaaS? And why do you think it's a critical aspect for the success of a startup? I think prices, regardless of how you have it, it always needs to be, you can have the best product in the world, but the price needs to be right as well, right? I think that is super important. What especially with trends like product-led growth, price needs to be more transparent. Price needs to be something you don't get to sell so much on the price. You can't have AEs make up for your bad pricing, account executives make up for your bad pricing. You need to be on the point and your customers need to understand it. And what you often see is like, Companies make up their pricing based on their reality. This is my company. This is my product, my industry. And they get so stuck in their ways that they forget, but maybe my customer is doing something else entirely. They don't really see the same things and thoughts. That's why it can really make or break. You don't resonate. Test what you do with your customers. You're not off to a good start at the beginning, but also later on, need to keep on eval evaluating pricing. Keep on yeah. reiterating. Yeah, I love it. And I think like you mentioned, uh, transparency and understanding, I think maybe that's the, the most important part. Like people have to understand how they're actually being charged now, yeah. but also going forward. When we break it up into two pieces, like how important is pricing for your go-to-market strategy? 
for your go-to-market strategy. You have like your recurring go-to-market strategy, if I can say it like that. You launch new things, you test new things, you reiterate new pricing and then bring it to market again. And I think it's super good that you have a very good first one, but you would probably be the first SaaS company ever that hits their pricing just right on their first go. So I think it's more important that you have a good pricing strategy in your review, in your evaluation of your go-to-market. You have done some testing, you have done some thinking, now you're launching it to some customers and then it's time to evaluate. So I think in the first iteration, that's where it becomes important. Okay, do we speak to our customers? What is the input we get from sales? What is the input we get during renewals? Yeah, because that's usually when you also notice, right? Because maybe you had a good salesperson at the beginning, but then it's time for renewal. And then suddenly the customer says, yeah, we like the product, but we don't really see the full value. So we need to talk price again. That's things you want to avoid. And you can only avoid that by proactive evaluation of how was the message received. And so I think it's super important to be included in the go-to markets, but especially also like the evaluation, which is part of many go-to market processes, sometimes secretly forgotten, right? Yeah, I can relate to that. Like we definitely launched a certain pricing, we tested it and in the end, like we did had uh, increased it like 100% pretty quickly because we were too cheap, but you have to go to market, I guess, to, to test it. And like, yep. I guess to zoom out, of course, what you yeah. said, check the input from sales. So top of like from the beginning all the way to renewal. So does it in fact churn? So did you sell too high and then were they not able to renew here? Exactly. It's okay if it's not perfect. Like you said as well, you can be too cheap. You can be way too expensive and that's okay. And you're not going to get it right in one go. Maybe then you're super lucky. Will not be nothing else yeah. but lucky. It will certainly not be science by getting it right in one time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that's going to be really hard. Let's assume, I guess, if we split it up into two, two parts. So the second part. So let's say you establish like product market fit, where at least you have clients who are willing to pay the price you set, and then you test the thing like how important is pricing when you established PMF. I think it's always going to be important. Packaging might even be more important in PMF. Like really, do my customers use the right things so you have a product that fits your market so you have established that but then do the customers use all the features they need for their business and is that included in their package of the solution that they have you see a lot of those good better best pricing models a startup company uses the startup bundle does the enterprise uses the enterprise so i think it's roughly more translated to the packaging rather than the pricing if it's becoming more important because they need to feel that they're using the things that they're paying for because otherwise then it becomes a problem about price. Like, yeah, but we have feature X and Y and Z. We never even touched them. Like, why do we pay for that? So I think it's for the product market checks, it's more important that you have the packaging right. And the price tag, of course, that complements that. But packaging is, I think, more of a focus. Yeah, and it's an interesting point that you don't want to have enterprise clients in the smallest package, basically. No, especially not the other way around. <laughs> exactly. And this might already be a common mistake, but if we, I guess, like dive into the, to the next question, like what is the most common mistake B2B SaaS companies make while uh, setting up their pricing structure? Two things. One is not enough iterations. Like we don't want to confuse our customers. Let's not change our pricing again. I think at least every year you need to update your pricing. You have probably a development department. Probably they release something and probably uh, that what they did needs to be included. Maybe if a separate module that is monetized or at least in certain bundles. Or so at least every year. Also looking at markets. What have your competitors been doing? What have inflation been doing, right? And maybe there should be an extra low cost model. What is trends in pricing? Like usage-based pricing. That is a big trend. What can we do there? At least reiterate is the thing I see companies do wrong a lot. Like 
they just have, oh yeah, we had this price more, it worked for five years, we'll work another year. Even if that's true, is it still the maximum you get out of the business, right? Uh, what is the potential you do not reach when you do that? I think maybe there's three then. The second one is then also, do we include the full life cycle of our customer in our pricing? Pricing is often so focused on the initial deal. Like how do we close this customer? And we often forget that this is for a recurring business, the customer hopefully sticks with us a bit longer. What is the upsell potential? What is the longevity of this? What is the one-off revenue we'll still get for this for the cash, especially early on, right? If you can get some extra man hours, that might be good for some of the money on your own cash account. So also don't focus all your energy on getting a very good first deal. It's sometimes better to close half the revenue on signature date, but at 120 after one year, because that is going to stick stay for more than one year. So that's another one. And then third, so three, I said at the beginning too, the third is segmentation. So when you check what is the best pricing and packaging, people often forget to segment their customer. You have a bunch of companies that you can sell to. And then usually you have an ideal customer profile maybe as well. And then even when that's narrow, like you have a small focus group of customers and it can be only like thousand companies in the Netherlands and 5,000 maximum in US or something. Even if it's relatively small, there's still going to be things that some of them have in common and some of them have completely different. And by segmenting your customer, okay, what do these people have in common? How do they work the same with my tool? How do they operate in the same industries and market? And how do we align to the same story? That needs to be part of one package. So really trying to find ways to categorize your customers, like how many categories do I have? How many segments am I selling to? And I'm not necessarily talking about ad tech and fintech, something like that, or government, nonprofit, blah, blah, blah. Really like how are they the same and how will my pricing story resonate? If I then do that, how many groups do I have? and then start asking the question what kind of pricing fits that so start with segmentation and they often jump way too fast too but let's grab a notebook write down start their professional enterprise 50 100 and 200 euros done right yeah everybody thinks about pricing indeed but what you're saying is think about packaging so i think with all the three things you said like not enough iterations you keep building features you keep adding things on the package so you need to change the pricing accordingly like the life cycle as you mentioned pricing be related to the life cycle of, of, of the client so almost like a land and yes. expand get them in in a small package know that you can expand yeah. them and then segment them based on the features which are kind to be in a certain package yes. i think that's really exactly. an interesting way to to look at it yeah and i think especially on the second one as well sales has a fraction of time to try to persuade the customer for the value right they have maybe five meet i, I don't know when some customers may have 20 some have two i don't know but let's say five they have five meeting to explain the value that your developers have spent like thousands and thousands of hours building something cool it is more likely that after a first year they have experienced those full five thousand hours instead of the five so if you focus a bit of your effort on, okay, what is the upsell potential and what is like the add-ons? And first of all, it shortens your sales cycles because it's uh, like an easier step into your tool. And second, it, you get the value discussions when the customer has seen the value. It just helps. It's yeah. bad for the cash, but that's, thank God we are in the funding business. I know you're bootstrapped, but uh, many <laughs> others just get money to solve that. Yeah. Even as a bootstrap, you can do this. We had a bit to land and expand where we are now selling something cheaply, but we're building a feature which is going to be like, like 4x the price of like our base model but we had yeah. to use like the current package so we are creating packages i'm now aware of that where they have yeah. certain needs and we're going to build something around that even though i thought we're just going to price it but we're actually creating a package which yeah. fits their needs i think that's already one probably best practice create packages and have them align the pricing you add to it like any other best practices you can share regarding pricing we communicate a five-step process pretty much which one is the segmentation which we talked about how can we categorize our customers 
customers, how are they different in terms of what they need? Two is kind of like the package part. What is then the optimal package product feature structure bundles to meet these segments that we're selling to? Three is then, okay, then if we have these like beautiful packages, how do we price them? What price metrics reflect their value? Because you have price like paper user, paper usage, a number of API calls included, or all those metrics that you price on. And then comes also like the, how do we sell it? Is it self-explanatory? If not, what is our discount strategy? Okay, how can we get sales? We have this ideal price, but of course there's people, especially we're in the Netherlands, right? Everybody wants to negotiate. What is our yeah. discount strategy? Can we do something in advance? It's less relevant for PLG, right? If you have fixed, like these are, I don't need to call the CEO of Netflix that I want to have a discount on my subscription. I don't think he or she, whoever it is, <laughs> will answer my phone call. So that's a fourth, like how do we sell this? And fifth is actually implement. So the go to market, maybe you can announce it to your new customers because they haven't seen your pricing before, but existing customers, maybe there's changes. Maybe some customers are in packages that will now pay less. How do we handle that? Are we going to make them happy or are we going to try to hide the fact that there's a lower price bundle for the exact same features? So how do we implement? And again, there you segment your customer base, like which other companies at risk, which one will churn. And it could be, you're always going to end up with a churn risk customer group, but then it's okay. Our upsell potential is 5 million euros. Our churn risk is 1 million euros. Should we make the decision? Yeah, sure. Educated guessing. So the implementation phase is the fifth, but that's probably the largest. In, in season one, we also interviewed Patrick Campbell, who has like a lot of data as well on with profit, well on on the pricing, and he also said keep increasing it, keep implementing it in certain ways. But I guess to summarize, like segment your clients, the packages, the price metrics, which you said reflect the value. I think that's really important. Like you mentioned it just in yeah. between lines, but price reflects the value. How do we sell it? And then implementation. I think that's a really yeah. good step process. Yeah. Are there any, I guess, like packages, because you guys are work more towards like the mo more complex billing, right? Are there any yeah. things you see which are working really well, like certain models which work really well to get these things like really yeah, to the best, I guess, you can? Yeah, I think typically there's in, in SaaS, you see a lot of models like you have the all you can eat, one fixed fee for all of our solutions. So this is our solution. And it's a hundred euros a month. That is a bundle you don't see a lot. I think what we see most in SaaS is the good, better, best. I will not have a favorite because like for some others, it might work differently, but we have the good, better, best is what I think most. So you have the starter bundle, which has one main feature. And then you have the better bundle, which has uh, two main features and the, the ultra bundle, the enterprise edition, limited platinum, cool stuff edition with four features. And each of them has different price ranges. And then you have functional package. So if you're selling to, like I said, if your segmentation turns out like I'm selling to governments, I'm selling to education and I'm selling to charity, then maybe also it makes sense to package your product that way. I have Redditors for governments. I have Redditors for, you know, that, that would be then the titles of your packaging. So you, you see a lot of things. What works best is I think the packaging is super crucial, but the price metrics, do we do with like a user base? Do we have number of active users, number of use in general, or do we have more of a usage base? So depending on how many podcasts people listen at Redditors, they need to pay one euro per podcast or something. Then they translate value like, yeah, but one time listening to the podcast, I've grown my company with 20% with all the wisdom from Joran. They can relate that to value or it's even success-based. Like you only pay our solution when your revenue goes up. That's sometimes now with for this customer success tools, it is linked to the NPS score. If your NPS score increases by X percent, your price increases. But then I don't care if my price increases, if my customers are more happy because they're going to pay me more. 
it's more in terms of the pricing metrics where you see the real success. And I think the success stories are there. Like how are they? What is the price metrics? Yeah. And maybe then a follow-up question on this. So let's say you are going to work with a company or you have the ability to go in and basically build out the process or build out the strategy to determine the best pricing for that specific SaaS. Like what yeah. steps would you take to, to, to determine that? Do you have customers already in this case? Yes, those are most of the, the, the listeners probably. So uh, you will yeah. have customers like, let's say, to make it even more practical, 20K MR, for example. I think we often forget to just ask, okay? Hey, we quoted you something two years ago when you became our customer. It feels so scary because we're afraid our customer might, in the Dutch we say, awaken the sleeping dogs, right? So we don't want a startup conversation we might not be ready to have. But I think in general, it's just okay to ask your customers like, hey, do you feel the pricing reflects our value? Hey, do you feel happy with the product that we're delivering for the value? And I think just gauge also, what would you change in our pricing model? Ask the questions. If you have some sort of customer success, it's not doable if your customers are paying five euros a month, right? They get that you cannot then really call them. Then you do it via max bulk surveys with survey tools or something like that. But best thing is ask, I would say, because then you get direct feedback. You get out of your bubble. Asking can be both to your customers, but it can also be to peers in SaaS industry, right? What did you do? What is your competitor doing? But the best thing is asking and get out of your like whiteboard session. Uh, that's where you get stuck and that's where you make mistakes. And I think to, to go back to what you previously said, like segment the companies, right? You probably have product analytic tools, so you know the features they're using. So you probably can create yep. those packages and then you can ask like what they're willing to pay. Like fun story, yes. I just mentioned we're building this new package, right? We did 35 client calls in a week to get feedback on the thing we're going to build. And we also asked them the at the end, how much would you be willing to pay for it? I love that I asked the question, but the, the answers were so broad as in one was, for example, willing, like he actually said that he was willing to pay three euros per month and one was pay, willing to pay 500 euros a month. Yeah. So I guess this is why it's important to segment the companies that you actually yeah. have your ICP in mind, even though there were our ICP, but then I learned maybe they're not because... Yeah. You can't build a feature for B2B SaaS where you're only going to charge three years. That's not really, yeah, no. And it, it becomes even more complex if you're like, when you're selling to people, you sell to stakeholders, right? You usually have yeah. kind of some sort of decision maker and it can be, it doesn't matter if that's PLG driven or something else driven, like sales driven or customer led growth. It doesn't matter where it comes from, but the stakeholder internal in the company, it's usually not one person that needs to make a decision. So there's multiple people and you usually see that the champion buying your solution is sooner to get the value than the one that might need to sign the paperwork. I think it's also good to take those two into consideration when you package in price, okay? We're gonna have the champion and he might think it's okay, it's 80% of what he expected, but we're gonna have this CFO person or whatever person, CEO that needs to sign, it might be 120% of what he expected to pay for it. How do we take that into account? It's a good question to ask yourself as well. This podcast episode is sponsored by Redditus. Redditus helps B2B SaaS companies to set up, manage, and grow an affiliate program. In short, it means you're asking other people, affiliates, to promote your SaaS. You would only pay the affiliates a kickback fee when they deliver you paid clients, making it a very cost-effective and scalable way to grow your MRR. See more at getreditus.com. Yeah, and this might be one of the common challenges SaaS companies run into. I think especially yeah. when you're selling to a bit bigger companies, having multiple stakeholders. Are there any other challenges companies run into with their pricing? 
it usually comes down to it not being transparent, yes or no. I see a lot of SaaS companies struggle when they have a lot of flat fees. My startup bundle is 500 euros a month and my professional bundle is 1500 euros a month. Yeah, but what is the difference then? Yeah, we have this and this included. Yeah, but I don't need this. Okay, but then we solve it with discount. And then we have people running around. Like if you ever bought a kitchen, we have this person that then like pretends to go to his manager to get approval for the discount that you're <laughs> requesting. And then they just walk a block, grab a coffee and then drink, say cheers to you on buying a new kitchen. And then saying, yes, I got your approval. I try to avoid that kind of thing and make it transparent and give sales mandate like upfront. Okay, these are the things you can discount on. If they don't have, for instance, we sell our solution uh, based on the number of revenue. The based on the number of revenue you do, we, we consider that value-based. So the higher your company growth, we, our revenue, of course, also goes up. And that is, I think, super nice. And I think it's understood by most companies. But then we also encounter companies that say, yes, but Walter, we have super high revenue. But that is because we have 15 customers that each have a contract of 1 million euros. So you're managing 15 subscriptions for us. And we're paying the amount that a normal company would automate maybe thousands of invoices for. That's when it becomes tricky. But then I would say, don't build the process for the exceptions. Build the process for the bulk yeah. and have a thing in place where sales knows who to talk to when there is that exception. You shouldn't have to cater for everything. So it's okay if not everything is included, because that is also something you can do. You get so stuck on, oh, but what if we encounter this? Yeah. How often does it happen? Three times a year? Yeah. Ah, screw it. Move on. That's another yeah, mistake. Exactly. And getting stuck in the yeah. details because you're working with people that are typically in product management roles can be detail oriented, right? You're technical, you're thinking about the market, thinking about the industry, thinking about the edge cases you've seen over the years. You shouldn't build pricing for your edge cases. You should build them for the bulk yeah. and deal yeah, with and, the exceptions. And exactly. And ideally you keep them as structured as possible in your billing system. You So you don't end up with a uh, hundred subscriptions at the end of the year where you made exception over exception. So it's hard to then segment them later on as well. Yeah, exactly. Yes, segment them later on and especially push new iterations in because it means different for everybody. If you have all different contracts, different terms, different things, our product could technically handle it, but I would still not recommend it because indeed, if you then have a new iteration, you need to go through those hundred customers like or different subscriptions. What is, how does this impact them versus them versus them? Long story. Yeah. Nice. Two-sided question. How do you see SaaS pricing going in, in 2024 and maybe even a bit beyond that? How do you see the future of SaaS pricing? I think SaaS is a modern industry. We meet each other at events. We meet other people at events and there's usually some sort of energy in the SaaS industry. There's people that are driven, they're eager. And what these people have in common typically is they jump aboard trends. So there's trends and then let's do that. Let's test that. Let's test it for ourselves. And that's, especially now there's a very hard trend towards usage-based pricing. And usage-based pricing is fantastic in a state where we're in, in my opinion, getting much better the economy situation, but there's still a lot of uncertainties in the market. Funding is still tough. There's inflation. There's lots of things. So what usage-based pricing then does, it drops your base entry-level platform fee to a bottom and then links the additional to value, which I think is a super good thing, but I don't think it's super sustainable because it also does a number on your revenue forecasting. It does a number on your cash flow. Normally, if you have issues with cash flow, you go for funding, make it up. But now that's more tricky as well. And then if you go for funding, you also have tough revenue figures because you half of it is later revenue because it's usage based. So I think this is one of those things where we see a trend, but we also see a trend back at some point. So that's the longer term. So I think 2024 will be about growing the usage based pricing. There will a lot more companies reflect on that. 
But 2025 and six, I expect it to already decrease drastically and people reverting back to predictability because they just jumped on the trend and didn't really realize this is really relevant for us. This is really something our customers need. And I always use the, uh, the Netflix example in these discussions. So l- let's say you have Netflix, right? And there's a pricing model now that is, I think, I don't know, we are paying Netflix for 12 euros a month. I have no idea. Yep. But with those 12 euros, I have full access to all movies, shows, whatever Netflix has to offer is for me. Let's say Netflix calls me and says, hey, Walter, good news. We're going to lower it to three euros. And then you're going to be charged for one euro per season watched, per movie watched, per something you do. And then my sense of, okay, but then if I have a Saturday or a Sunday lazy at home and I just want to just switch it on, scroll my phone and leave the movies going. And every now and then I peek at the TV. I will not do that anymore. Will I still enjoy my Sunday? So with the usage trend, there's a lot of psychology, which people forget to include. Do our customers feel safe? Because some customers might, and that's again, comes down to segmenting, right? Some customers might like the fact that they have a very low base floor and really impact the detail of the amount they're going to end up paying. Like if there's a number of seats included, okay, let's just have less seats using the software and we can control the cost and the expense we make. But some customers really feel uh, like, yeah, but I want predictability, especially if you talk to larger companies, if you're targeting enterprise companies, they have cash flow stability. They just want predictability. So they might feel more, I, I don't want to bother with, I don't want to get an invoice for the over usage of 50 euros and have pay, accounts payable people go and manage that invoice. That's a waste of my time. So again, segment, think of the psychology of the usage base, if it's really something for you. Um, because It's not always the answer, even though it's a big trend. It can be the answer. Yeah, nice. And I, you really put my brain to thinking here because yeah. like the, the thing you said, users base might hold them back on getting value. I think like the, with the Netflix, right? Like you watching a movie is getting the value out of the tool, but you might actually hold back on doing it because you're being priced on it, which yes. I think you will see a lot in SaaS as well. Should we actually do this because we're going to pay more? Should we maybe in, not invite these users to the CS tool because they're not going to be active anyway? Or like, you're going to find ways to avoid pricing, or at least that's the, yes. that's the Dutch way how we do it. Exactly. Yes. Nice. We're going to close off with the final four questions. I think they're almost becoming famous. So let's just start with the first one and talk about SaaS pricing. What kind of advice would you give somebody who's just starting out and growing to 10K monthly recurring revenue? You're probably struggling or working on your product market fit. So review your packaging a lot. So the packaging of your SaaS is even more important than pricing at the moment. It is okay if you lose a bit of extra euro, you have one unhappy customer that pays too much and then renegotiate to the proper value next year. I would spend your efforts on the packaging a lot. Make sure you have your ideal customer profile. That's usually something that when you're still growing is is still something that is, you had an idea when you started your product and then later on you can get distracted like, oh, but this can also be used for this segment. Don't get too distracted because it also means you cannot really test your pricing model if you have all these separate types of companies using your solution, because then you can never really understand the value or you can never really gauge what their value is. So keep your focus in your packaging and pricing. Don't deviate too much at the beginning, what I would say, and test, test and reiterate. Don't feel that, okay, I cannot change my pricing twice here. That's too much. I don't think that's too much. It's fine. I think that's uh, definitely a good way to also see is the willingness to pay becoming higher and higher as, as soon as you yeah, involve exactly. the product more. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So let's assume we just passed the 10K monthly recurring revenue. We are going to make a big jump uh, towards 10 million ARR. Uh, what kind of advice would you give a founder here? Partly the same. So still segmentation is important. Reviewing and reiterating your pricing is still going to be equally important. It doesn't need to be like three times a year, probably maybe once a year is enough. And now it becomes a bit more on maturity. 
I would say, of your pricing model. You cannot have really the cowboy mentality anymore. Oh, we'll see it when we speak to a customer, if it's still perfect, you need to have something structured. So now it becomes more strategic. How uh, do we talk about our pricing and in terms of conditions? Uh, how can we upsell midterm if we feel like it? How do we deal with indexation? It's boring, but it's part of it and can grow your revenue, right? So it becomes more of the, that, how is our discount policy? What is our mandate for C-levels? What is our mandate for mid-level, senior levels, et cetera, and AEs themselves? It becomes a bit more on building maturity around it and the strategic decisions. Should we have it on our website? Should we have all of it on our website or should we just have the base plans and then starting from 500 euros on our website? Those kind of discussions uh, is what you should focus on at that stage, because I, I hope you have at least your pricing in a place where it's not going to require drastic changes every year. It just needs optimizations. Yeah. Yeah, and I think here as well, like first thing you said, right, segmentation and iteration means keep involving your pricing, keep involving your packaging, mm -hmm. but also keep increasing it, I guess, as well. Be become more strategic. So no cowboy mentality. So make sure you also have the way on upselling. The yeah. dis discount policy you mentioned become maybe more transparent. I like yeah. it and all very, I think, actionable. When we zoom out and this could be anything so it doesn't have to be specific towards SaaS pricing would you have any general advice towards SaaS founders who are on their journey right now i think learn from your business so you, you don't have every process automated in the beginning right you don't have a subscription management solution maybe from day one you maybe don't have a big 24 legal entity supporting finance system so i think that's all good but start measuring success of your business from day one. Start writing down customer testimonials as soon as you can. Start setting up referral programs as soon as you can. Be okay with not having processes for everything, but have some sort of then like authorization things in place. Really get your results on paper. Measure almost everything. How long does it take on average from my first meeting to a deal close? How long does it take for this kind of marketing campaign to result into a deal or to result into a meeting? Start measuring as much as you can to really steer. I'm really a fan of measuring things. We, we have almost at Unium internally, we have 300 KPIs that we're looking at with the management team. And that is all we're looking at, at the management team. So, okay, uh, hey, these numbers were off. What happened? Why did Denmark perform so much worse than Gen Germany? What's up no. with that? <laughs> really become a data-driven, metric-driven organization instead of gut feel. Because gut feel, even if you're the smartest CEO, is never transferable to your employees because some people have a strong gut and they have, have an entrepreneurial spirit and I believe in that exists, but it's not transferable to your lower level employees that need to do your job every day. Nice. And to add on that, it probably builds a lot of transparency as well. So because you are yeah. measuring, because you become data-driven, it is transferable, as you mentioned, but it also builds like a huge transparency. Like how is the company yeah. actually doing and what do we want it to do? And no, and indeed, like you say, transparency also goes down through all employees, which you saw last year, or 2022, is the economic uncertainty impacted SaaS a lot. And what I heard from a lot of peers is that within the organization, people were asking like, hey, do you think it's going to affect us? Do you think we get laid off? Do you think there's going to be a layoff at our company? And I think if you have these metrics and you have them in a place where all employees can see them, and you take them aboard the journey and you tell them which ones are important to you, what are like the, the highlight goals for you. One, even if shit hits the fan, it's never going to come if it's shock and people will proactively jump on board the train. Hey, dear, whoever you are, whatever is the CEO's name of the company, we need to fix this. We see this increasing and we're concerned. What can we do? That transparency will also just stop the water cooler rumors like, oh, we're probably also going to get laid off and negativity. It's transparent. Indeed. So I like that you said that we're transparent. I cannot talk enough about that. It's very important. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And not every company like, like Union will have 300 KPIs they can 
track because that's no. like really difficult, especially if you're early stage. But like the way you got there is probably by doing it step by step. So yeah. uh, I think that's maybe one thing to add here as well. We definitely do not track 300 KPIs. I wouldn't have the time for it yet, but I definitely want no. to get there. So we're just building it step by step. Yeah, makes sense. Final question. What is one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago? That software is so fun. So you said in the intro, I worked at Technetics, which is telco and a super cool company, great people to work with, but SaaS industry is amazing. Software industry is amazing. I wish I knew that sooner. I would have probably spent a bit more of my career in software than I already have. You meet the most amazing people. And I think it's one of the most selfless industries as well. So when you go to these SaaS events, people just like share knowledge. Here you go for free. That's where it is. And there's people like you who make their business out of people sharing knowledge. It's fantastic. And, and you don't see that so much in other industries. So maybe speaking 10 years, I wish I knew this 10 years ago that SaaS software industries would be so cool. I would have worked there much sooner. Nice. And it's probably also because of all the events, because I see you at all the events, right? So of we course. both go there. Yes. So that has something to do yeah. with it as well. But I love, yeah. I guess, what you said, the selfless industry. I think that's really true. And I think like you I worked in telco and I had to travel to, to Taiwan and to US and I had to wear this cool fancy suit and I felt, okay, why am I wearing this? I'm 20 something. And now you have you with Redditors, you carry your blue shirt and your frames. And I think it's just, it's okay. It's a great industry because people like it. It's okay to be yourself and have fun because work can be fun. And that's, yeah, I just love software. So I love SaaS. I don't know why. I do know why. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's see how long I can keep wearing the blue hoodie. Everybody recognize yeah. me with that. Yes, of course. Yes. Nice. Well, I guess the final question, if people don't see you at an event, how can they get in contact with you? What is the best way to do? LinkedIn is usually the easiest because if I have to spell my last name and email address, it's always going to be tricky. LinkedIn is, is the most easy. I check my inbox regularly, so I should. it's the easiest. Cool. We're going we're gonna to link to the union. We're going to link to Walter's LinkedIn, Walter Reberg for the people, but we're going to make it easy and just make a clickable link. Thanks for coming on to the show today, Walter. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for watching this show of the Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast. You made it till the end. So I think we can assume you like this content. If you did, uh, give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. If you like this content, Feel free to reach out if you want to sponsor the show, if you have a specific guest in mind, if you have a specific topic you want us to cover, reach out to me on LinkedIn. More than happy to take a look at it. If you want to know more about Redditus, feel free to reach out as well. But for now, have a great day and good luck growing your B2B SaaS.